performance is not just for top athletes and actors. It's something we engage in every day of our lives. But the question is, are we performing at our best? How we think, feel, and behave all influence our results from day to day. Dr. Christie and her guests will show you the common elements behind performance and how it all ties back to our success. Welcome to The Mental Game of Life with Dr. Christy Warner. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Dr. Christy Warner, and I am super thrilled to be with you today. On The Mental Game of Life, we're looking at performance through the lens of the everyday. What are we doing every day that adds up to the results in our lives? And before we jump into today's topic, I first really want to thank the Voice America team for putting on a couple replays over the last couple weeks. I had some family urgencies and emergencies to attend to, and I also want to thank the listeners for their patience in waiting for a new show to air. So we are now shifting our focus slightly from um, looking at individual performance and strategies around that into team performance and digging into how leadership and organizational culture influences this process. So a couple weeks ago, I had a guest speaker on, Travis um, Daumert, and the show um, actually replayed last week. And uh, he got us really moving in the direction of sharing insights about building a high-performance culture. Today, we are going to continue down that path. And it turns out on the last show, Travis and I had so much to talk about, we actually didn't get a chance, or I didn't get a chance to unpack the recipe for success, the key takeaways from that particular show. So I'd like to start there with a few takeaways on how we can drive individual performance as a foundation, perhaps a little foreshadowing, if you will, of how we can drive team performance. We have all heard the saying, the team is only as strong as the weakest link. So as individuals, we, of course, influence and impact our team. So a few takeaways from that show, which was called The Corporate Athlete Part 2, was really taking time to reflect on your purpose and your passions. We're going to find out today that that is also very, very important equally important for teams as well. On the show, we talked about the difference between production drivers, those outcomes for work, and capacity drivers, those things that recharge and refuel you. One recommendation is to get really clear on your capacity drivers. What are the things you do that support you to recharge? In order to perform optimally, we can't let our well run dry. So you must be able to do things that fuel your mind, body, and and soul. So reflect on those, make a list, narrow it down to two or three, and then do a couple things on a daily basis that help you to recharge. Also, the other important takeaway was finding your daily and your quarterly rhythm. This includes building break-ins on a daily basis to recharge your brain. Also, think about your quarterly patterns in your business. Can you take a little bit of downtime or a week off or a couple days off after Q1, after Q2 to to mentally recharge? Our guest, Travis, mentioned that he uses this principle with his whole company, 12 weeks on, one week off. Not completely off work, but permission to not track actions. They do take one uh, day away from the office. So I recommend you find your rhythm. This is also really important for teams. Practice being accountable. Track your behaviors and key outcomes that you want in your life. On paper, use a transformational app like I Run, You Run, but don't depend on your faulty, sometimes self-serving memory to track the things you've actually done. Track them on paper. You're going to find out how important accountability is for team performance as well. So that was a little bit of recipe for success from the last show, and I'm going to move us into team performance. So working both in the sport and business world, it's become clear to me that there are some major similar characteristics of a high-performing team. 
that exists no matter what arena, sport, business, even medical teams. When a group comes together, though, they um, want to achieve something greater than one person can achieve individually. Sounds easy enough, doesn't it? And in fact, creating or being part of a group can be much more complex than we think it might need to be. It's more than just a bunch of talents and ideas coming together. It's actually a process. And you cannot expect a new team to perform well when they first come together. It takes time, takes time, as I'm sure all of you guys have experienced. So the first thing I'd like to do today is really talk about group formation. And how does a group actually get formed? This is kind of an interesting concept that um, Henry Ford talked about as well. And he said, coming together is a beginning. Keeping together is progress. Working together is success. And uh, I want to introduce you to, or for some of you, I may be reintroducing you to, a simple model to build an effective team quickly. It's an oldie but a goodie. And it was first proposed by Bruce Tuckman in 1965. And he more or less proposed that there are about four phases that are necessary and inevitable in order for a team to grow, tackle problems, find solutions, and deliver high-performance results. The first phase is forming. That makes sense, right? Here the team meets and learns about the opportunity and challenges of the task at hand. The team tends to behave quite independently. Most team members are positive and polite. This is where people are on their best behaviors, okay? There also could be some anxiety. People haven't really fully understand what the team will do. Others may be really excited about the task at hand. There could be a mix of emotions going on. So the major task in this stage is really orientation. Members attempt to become orientated with the tasks as well as one another. Discussion tends to be centered around defining the scope of the task and how to approach it. This stage can actually last for some time. In fact, some groups even get stuck here. But to grow from this stage to the next, each member must relinquish a comfort and take the possibility of risk of conflict. The next phase is called storming, or we call intergroup conflict stage. And storming, um, this is where people really start to push the boundaries established in the in the forming stage. And um, this is where conflict starts to emerge. This is where natural tendencies start to come out. There could be some conflict between people's work styles and thoughts on approach. And storming can also happen in other situations, such as when team members challenge authority or they're jockeying for position as their roles are becoming more clear. Um, They can just be simply overwhelmed by the workload, or they can be uncomfortable with the approach being used that they came up with in the forming stage. Some groups avoid this phase altogether and jump right to the next, but most go through this. And the duration, the intensity, and the destructiveness of the storm can truly be varied. Disagreement and personal clashes uh, have to be resolved, though, before the team can really progress at this stage and move to the next one. Um, So this is where we find that teams can really fail. And um, it can be overwhelming. People leave the team. The new person comes in. They've got to start with the forming again. There could be the new storming. So teams can get lost here. They can also circle back to that stage. So norming is the next stage. So once you've graduated from the storming, then you go into norming. 
this is when people really start to resolve the differences and appreciate their colleagues' strengths. So they've kind of got through sort of the differences, and now they're starting to see their similarities. Typically, um, if you can get through the storming, it actually creates greater intimacy and understanding and a spirit of cooperation. Sort of like, I kind of get you, you kind of get me, we're okay, we're going to move forward. Um, So group norms start to be established and ingrained here, and patterns of work begin. And in this stage, all members um, start to take responsibility and um, ambition to work towards the team's goal. So I think there's really, I like to think of this stage as sort of hyper-awareness of that shared goal. And even though we may have differences, we can see the goal and we're going to approach it together and we're going to tackle the task. The danger and misstep here is that members may also be focused on preventing conflict. Like Depending on how bad the storming was, they now kind of got at this stage of like, oh, we don't want to rock the boat. So what that can do in terms of a business group is that sometimes people are reluctant to share various different ideas or to bring up an objection. So you have to be kind of careful here that we don't go from storming into the niceness, if you will. And I think there's a great quote from Patrick Lencioni, who is a great author on team management. He says, great teams do not hold back with one another. They're unafraid to air their dirty laundry. They admit their mistakes, their weaknesses, and their concerns without fear of appraisal. So that's really, when we're looking at a high-performance team, Going through the storming phase is actually really healthy if they can get through it. And then the norming and they find these ways of working together so that they can get to performing. The team that reaches performing stage tends to work really hard to lead the charge, really without much friction at this point. They've kind of figured out how to what they need to do, how they need to work, and they're really on course with the goal. Um, the norms and roles are really established. Group members are focused on achieving that common goal. And there's a lot better understanding of each other's work style and acceptance of strengths and weaknesses within the group. So when conflicts do come up, they get resolved pretty quickly, and they don't disrupt the flow too much in this stage. Um, But even the most high-performing teams can revert back to the earlier stages in certain circumstances and re-enter the storming phase if new challenges come up or new disputes arise. There are many long-standing teams that go through these cycles, and they can come back around to any of these stages. New team members um, can be can join. There can be a change of leadership, and all of a sudden they're back in the storming phase. And actually, when you have new members come in, depending on the degree of the number the number of new members, you can actually go right back to the forming stage. Teams that have been together for quite a while tend to. Um, go through those stages a little bit faster, even though if they have new members, they'll go through the forming a little, a little storming, then norming, and then um, performing. So those are the dynamics of, of teams. And then in 1977, they actually added a fifth stage called adjourning. And that really is to do with teams that come together for projects, you know, quick projects, and then all of a sudden they disband. So there is a process of completing the task and breaking up the team. And, and we've probably all been on teams where we had the intention of staying in touch and then life happens and we don't because that glue that that held us together is not there anymore. So the adjourning can be really important for, for you know, teams that are put together um, for a short amount of time. So Casey um, Stengel, he's an American major league baseball outfielder and manager. He says, getting good players is easy. Getting them to play together is the hard part. So I just wanted to start us off by really thinking through how do groups form in order then to start to talk about what are those key elements that keep them together. 
So I want to just say thank you for turning for tuning in today. We will return in a few minutes and we'll plunge into what the research is saying is the core elements to high performance teams. So with that, we'll be back in a few minutes. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Many industries have been revolutionized by technology in the last decade. Books, music, TV, communications, and now it's happening to our money and the way we pay. Tune in to Breaking Banks with Brett King for a look at how technology and customer behavior will bring about more changes in banking in the next 10 years than in the last 200 years. Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific on Voice America Business Channel or on AM 1160 The Voice. You'll never look at your bank account the same again. Each week, Larry Sternberg joins Dr. Kim Turnage to explore management issues from culture to discipline in Managing to Make a Difference. Join Talent Plus for 60 minutes of dynamic conversation, including real-life management examples helping you manage teams across the globe. This series airs on Voice America, the business channel, Thursdays at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific. Managing to Make a Difference every Thursday afternoon with Larry Sternberg and Dr. Kim Turnage. Tune in to the soul of enterprise, business in the knowledge economy with co-hosts Ron Baker and Ed Klass. Ron and Ed will show you how to recognize that wealth is created by intellectual capital. It's all in the possibilities that we can create and that are created for us. These possibilities are destined to be discovered by human imagination and through the service of others, creating a brighter future for all of us. The Soul of Enterprise is heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel and simulcast at the same time on the Voice America Variety Channel. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. This is The Mental Game of Life. To reach Dr. Christy Wanner, send an email to thementalgameoflife at gmail.com. Again, that's thementalgameoflife at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Thanks so much for joining the show. Before the break, we talked through a great model of understanding group formation and performance. Now that we know the stages that groups tend to go through once they're formed, as well as some pitfalls, We're now going to turn our attention to other research pointing at some of the core elements, ingredients of a high-performance team. So what comprises the mindset and behaviors of high-performing teams? Well, the very first one is something I already alluded to today, and that is having a clear purpose or a vision. This is so important. You know, it basically answers these very, very important questions. Why does the team exist? What are the team's objectives? How does it contribute to the overall success of the organization. Team members want to know what the purpose is of this particular group. And they really need to know in order to perform at a high level. If the end game is not clear, literally the team is doomed for failure. That sounds a little bit uh, doom and gloom here, but, or they're at least going to encounter some major bumps in the road. So developing an inspirational vision purpose is an essential step to achieving high performance for absolutely any team. Uh, 
The second one, which really ties in nicely with that one, is having clear team roles. This is really important on the field for athletes. It's very important in the workplace as well. Employees want to know how the team functions and who's going to fulfill each role in the team. Who's the questioner? Who's the idea maker? Who's the implementer? Who's the big, got the big picture? Who's into the details? Now, the team may not need those specific roles, but teams perform better when they know who primarily is covering X, Y, and Z. And when they have respect for each other and where the team is coming from. So there is, again, it goes back to that, even the forming stages where people are kind of figuring out the personalities on the team, you know, the strengths, who's going to do what, etc. So having clear team goals is really important. Now, what the research also shows is there are certain aspects of the of people's roles and responsibilities that ought to be pretty well defined, black and white. You're the engineer, I'm, you know, graphic designer, etc. And this clarity does create accountability. Individuals need accountability for the te- the whole team to be successful. Makes complete sense. I'm sure all of us had that experience in high school or college where you had a group project and there was somebody who wasn't pulling their weight, right? They're the social lobster. They were just expecting everyone else to do the work. Well, obviously there was there might not have been accountability within that team to go to the professor, et cetera, et cetera. There's lots of different ways professors do that now, but um, to ensure accountability. But we want to make sure there is that idea of roles and responsibilities. And with that clarity also comes awareness of where the gray areas lie in the team. Where are the weaknesses in the team and who can stretch to cover them? Or who do you need to pull in to make sure that that particular task gets completed? Um, And you know the team has hit that performance stage when they can work well or resolve the gray areas between them and between those skills and um, mindsets even. So, of course, you need a mix of skills. That's great. I mean, you can't win a basketball team with a team full of point guards, right? So you do have to have that mix. And you also have to have that flexibility for people to be able to cover and stretch or at least to acknowledge that there is a gray area there. So the third thing that high-performance teams really need is commitment. You cannot have a high-performance team without commitment to the goal and to the achievement. So that sort of makes sense. That's pretty in- intuitive. And so that's really where having purpose and the role really clear really helps the team actually move through through those four st- stages a little bit easier. Um, and I think what's really important here is that it is part of the human condition, right, to want to be a part of something special and contribute to something that makes it so. So high performance happens when each individual is committed to the team's goal. Now, it's not all about task commitment. It turns out that teams are even more successful when there's a deep commitment to one another's personal growth and success as well. And here's a little nugget that bridges commitment and accountability, and that's collective leadership. Although there's probably a leader managing the team or even on the team. The idea here is that leadership in this context is shared responsibility, which really goes to both a commitment and accountability. When you can buy into what's going on and you have a shared responsibility, it makes it easier to buy in to the goal, to your role, and to get the work accomplished. The other part, as I just mentioned, is accountability. High-performance teams do what they say they're going to do. Now, it's really, really important for people to be accountable to themselves first and foremost, but also to each other through the lines of communication, 
Well, it's important that people have the ability um, to check in with the team goal and all the tasks that are related to that and check in from time to time on the quality of, of the work and is it going in the right direction. And this is really done to increase the, um, to look at where there could be improvements in the process, have any learning shared with other team members, um, but it also helps to create the accountability again in case you're off track, in case the team is off track. And the teams that operate in this space of accountability um, often operate from a place of choice. And so there is that individual responsibility and team responsibility to the tasks that need to get done to get to the end game for this particular team. So accountability is really important. The other piece that links in here, so we've got commitment, we've got accountability. The other part is attention to not details, although that's important too, is results. It ties in nicely to accountability. Everybody really ne- needs to have an eye on the deliverables and the results. Uh, it can't be just up to one person. It goes back to that shared responsibility, shared leadership. Um, teams that operate without deadlines will ultimately um, evolve into long-winded wrap sessions or what I call explorative, explorative uh, sessions where their focus is really shifted from what needs to be done to sort of endless discussions about what the real mission is of the team, um, is this really what they should be doing, finding a different approach, and they're sort of in this space of exploring, exploring, exploring. And this really can get a team stuck at even the forming and storming stages in te- instead of going to the performing stage. So I think it's really important to have open discussions, but at the same time to have clear deadlines so that the team does not get stuck in any of those stages, except for we want them stuck in the performing stage, of course. Um, High-performance teams also stay in integrity as members. And as a team, they're being realistic about their workload and renegotiating deadlines um, when needed and really never um, wanting to sacrifice quality at the expense of short-term gains. So that's really an important piece of a high-performing team. The other thing that's really interesting is when we look at um, teams that are high-performing is that they often work just outside their comfort zone. Why would any team want to attempt anything that they didn't really know how to do? And, um, well, the answer to that is that our greatest satisfaction as human beings come from achievement results. And uh, so we want that. Of course, it has to be a little bit out of our range at the onset. But we also have to have the uh, believability that we can reach it. So when a team operates in what this zone of... uh, the comfort zone, they may get stuck there. So we want to actually um, operate from not comfort zone, but not terror zone that they don't think they can ever get this goal done. But they want to be in this zone of concern, right? That, that it's possible. Can we do it? Yes, we can. No, we can't. And then have the skills and the conversations to collaborate to get there past that uh, comfort zone to into this zone of concern. And that's really where we find people get the most personal satisfaction from achieving the goal. That's both personally and as a team. So the next big thing about uh, teams is, of course, trust. Now, remember back in Tuckman's model, a big part of getting to performing was storming and norming. And really, that's where the trust is really being built. And that's key. Every high-performing team is built on the foundation of trust. Part of building that trust is knowing your team's strengths and weaknesses. Teams um, who are performing very high really truly uh, know how to excel and they know how to fill the gaps, those great areas on the team. 
Now, this is where people really um, understand each other. They're competent. They're reliable. I trust you. You trust me. And they spend less time worrying about if and how things are going to get done, which helps them to move into the performing stages. So in it, I think it's, of course, human nature for all of us to have judgments about the capabilities and intelligence and motivations of our fellow team members. But when we get stuck there, we spend way too much energy there, and it really inhibits the team from accomplishing the tasks they need to do in order to get the deliverables done at a high level. So every team, of course, has its unique insights and contributions, and it is the responsibility of each and every team member to search out and discover the capabilities of the others. It's nice when they're laid out for you, but it's also a discovery process. That's going to be in that forming, norming, and even storming phases. Um, so that you can cover the gray areas. And no, we're not talking about hair dye, right? We're talking about those areas you're not quite sure who's got the skills for. So part of trust is really around communication and resolving conflict. So open communication is really the key in order to build trust. Uh, It also gives the opportunity for things that seemed miscommunicated or in this kind of gray, yucky area to turn into black and white. So there's more understanding. Miscommunication will hinder any performance. And we can look at time and time again of gambling debts and NBA stars. I mean, when there is conflict in the locker room, there usually is a huge impact in the overall performance of a team. When somebody owes money to someone else, it has never worked out well in terms of performance. So we know that there can be these miscommunications. High-performance teams also learn how to talk to each other and establish a way to resolve conflict. Very, very important. They start to get a pattern of communication and a way to deal with conflict. And conflict is not bad. It actually brings up ideas. It can clear the air. And team members have to have that openness to say, yes, I can do this or full permission to say, no, I'm not able to do this or I have to decline doing this because I'm working on that. So it's important of all that. And then the third thing that's really important in terms of communication is the importance of completion. What we know from the research is that team members, um, it's really great when they can take a stand for being whole or complete with each other. It's that idea of also with partners that you don't go to bed angry. Um, And the same thing applies here that all upsets are cleared up within 48 to 72 hours and having a communication standard around that can be really helpful. And also just having a commitment to each other that we are not going to let bad blood to continue to impact us. So those are some really important ways that teams, um, core elements of what high performance teams have. So just as a recap of that, it's trust, it's great communication. It's really being able to push themselves by having the tools to do it, keeping an eye on the ball so everyone's uh, responsible for results, accountability, commitment to each other, and of course, having clear team roles and having a clear vision and purpose. So those are really, really the important pieces. And so when we get back, I'm going to share a really interesting study um, from MIT that talks about communication It blew me away. I hope it provides insight for you. And then we're going to start to talk a little bit more about um, the hidden things, the intangible things we see in teams. So in a few minutes, we'll be back. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Do you realize that the root of your challenges lie within you? 
It's time to find out more about coaching and how it can help both you and your business. Coaching for Real with Ronald Graves will help you gain a deeper level of self-awareness to find the answers inside yourself. Our guests are business professionals just like you who agree to a coaching session on our radio program. Tune into Coaching for Real live every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Business. If you are a small business owner or a creative freelancer in pretty much any field, you can't miss Let's Get Radical. Your hosts, Jody Paydar and Liz Gold, will help you redevelop your plans, policies, and practices to take a radical turn in order to achieve new success. They spotlight the latest in technology, attitudes, what others are doing, and what can help you. Tune in every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And let's get radical. Does your organization lack proper leadership? We're not necessarily talking about experience, but about how to face the changing dynamic of leadership today. Sometimes the people we lead know more. Old ways don't work anymore, and the comfort zone just becomes too easy. Listen for Out of the Comfort Zone with Dr. Wanda Wallace. We'll show you how you can adapt and develop your leadership skills to today's workplace. Every Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Business. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. This is The Mental Game of Life. To reach Dr. Christy Wanner, send an email to thementalgameoflife at gmail.com. Again, that's thementalgameoflife at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to the show. Before the break, we're deep into understanding the key elements of a high-performance team. And I want to say that if you are listening live and you have um, any strategies that worked well for you uh, in terms of managing teams, I would love for you to call in. And the number to call in is 1-866-472-5790. So I, before the break, I said I'm going to share a very interesting study with you. So this blew me away. Really, it did. And uh, this is coming from Alex Sandy Petlin. And uh, this is from the Harvard Business Review, and it's called The Science of Building Great Teams. And it was actually a study back in 2012. And the MIT Human Dynamics Laboratory looked at group dynamics um, in terms of what characterizes a high-performance team. And their initial kind of wandering around with research, they did find that uh, high-performance teams' um, communication was it was very clear that this was very important and they decided to explore interpersonal communication even further including many teams in several industries and they equipped them with these electronic badges and I you know they sound really great and really cool I don't have all the details but they collected data on individual communication behavior and in fact they um, these badges produce what they call sociometrics and they measure how people interact, such as tone of voice they use, whether they're face-to-face with one another, how much they gesture, how much they talk, listen, interrupt, and even the levels of extroversion and empathy. This is a really cool tool, right? And, of course, they did some great data analysis, everything you would expect from MIT. And they came out with uh, some really interesting studies or findings, sorry. And I want to share three main ones with you. 
The first one is that the data confirmed that communication indeed plays a critical role in building successful teams. And in fact, they found the patterns of communication to be the most important predictor of a team's success. It was as significant as all the other factors combined, including intelligence, personality, skill, and the substance of the discussions. Now, they also found that the best predictor of productivity was the team's energy and engagement outside of formal meetings. So what does this mean exactly? Sounds like coffee breaks are really, really important or water cooler breaks are really important as well. And when we dig into the findings, what we what they found um, was that there was three aspects of communication that affect team performance. Energy, which they uh, define as a measure by which a number... Um, the number and the nature of exchanges among team members. And what they found was the most valuable was communication face-to-face. The next most valuable was by phone or video conference. But the caveat there was that became less effective the more, particip- the more people participate on the call or on the conference call. And then the third least valuable form of communication is email and texting. So energy was a really big important factor. The other thing was engagement and how they defined that was which um, the distribution of energy among team members. And what they mean by that is, was there an equal amount of interaction between person A, B and person B, C and person A and C? And they found out that teams that have more equal communication, high energy communication are more strongly engaged. Teams that have clusters, so like little uh, groups, um, they may have high energy communication in sort of this little subgroup and this little subgroup. When they found that they had these little subgroups, the whole team did not per, um, perform quite as well. The third thing was expiration, which involved communication outside of the member group and so outside of the team. And this is essential because it brought in information, creative ideas, fresh ideas to the team. But this is the thing, that the energy must be balanced between engagement inside the team and exploration outside the team. So teams that have a better balance there, so they brought ideas, but they really stayed committed to each other and communicating with each other, uh, performed better. And after all of that, the I think the really, really profound statement that they made in this study was that they found that 35% of the variation in team performance can be accounted for by simply the number of face-to-face exchanges among team members. It really shows that communication is important and face-to-face communication is important um, and that if we really want to build team success, we have got to allow face-to-face communication between people. And, you know, of course, talent is important, right? But what they found actually is that it's not the most important thing. And if you really want to build a great team, it's not just to select individuals based upon their smarts. Um, it's actually better to select them based on how they communicate and then support successful communication patterns within the group. So I think that's a really important lesson to be learned um, in terms of group performance. So just kind of wrap up this little segment here. and We're going to move to something else. Um, you know, of course, the timing, competitive landscape, internal, external factors, organizational changes, all these things do affect um, how a team will perform and if they'll be successful or not. All we can do is create the environment and have the ingredients come together to create a perfect storm, like the Big Bang Theory. Um, And so those are the really key pieces. But now I want to talk a little bit more about um, not so much the do's and the don'ts, right? We got those key elements that create a high-performance team, 
right? That's a great start. But is that everything to the equation? Just the tactical do's and don'ts? But what about the stuff that we can't see or label? Those are the things we call chemistry, team chemistry. We have all seen Super Bowls and NBA playoffs where on paper, the team with the greatest talent does not win at all, or quite frankly, doesn't even make it to the playoffs. So certainly having the right people on the team is important and getting a common goal is important and that's going to differentiate, you know, the best from the rest. But the importance of chemistry should not be ignored. And it's a great little quote here from Babe Ruth. He says, the way a team plays as a whole determines its success. You may have the greatest bunch of individual stars in the world, but if they don't play together, the club won't be worth a dime. So there is something about this team chemistry. You know, what does it mean anyway? Is it the energy? Is it the synergy of the team? And I happen to, you know, I'm sort of a bad Canadian in this way, is I don't love hockey uh, from a watching it um, for personal enjoyment, but I do love watching the dynamics of hockey. And I think one of the things you can really see is when the team is sluggish, you know, especially when it's like zero to three or something. Um, and the team is like skating around, the team that's got like zero points. It's like skating around with not very much energy. And as soon as they get a goal, I mean, their energy, they're excited, they're all of a sudden skating faster. And I'm pretty sure all the things they're doing now would have helped them to score sooner. So it is this interesting thing of watching energy among teams. It's in nonverbals. It's the mutual understanding. It's after you've known each other for a while that you know just from a glance what they're thinking. And of course, all of that happens with um, getting to know each other really well. So there's a tactical piece, but I think there's something there too. That's what is what's interesting um, is the intangible piece, the things that we can't see, and but we know we're there, right? Like how many times have we said, walked into a room and said, oh man, you could cut a knife um, you could have, you could cut the tension in the room with a knife, right? It's like we kind of can feel things or we have a vibe about certain things. And there's something to be said about that. And I want to share a couple very interesting little tidbits that I think add to this holistic view of teams. And one of them is the study of um, emotional contagion, <laughs> which is kind of a funny word to say. But for centuries, um, researchers have studied the tendency for people to unconsciously or automatically mimic the emotional expressions of others. And in many cases, actually feel the same feelings simply by um, exposure to the emotions of someone else in a social interaction. It's called emotional contag- uh, contagion, and it's a phenomenon of having one person's emotions and related behavior directly trigger similar emotions and behaviors in others. And um, what they've actually found in studies is that when you mimic frowning or smiling of other people, it triggers a reaction in our brain that causes us to experience those very similar feelings. So simply put, you know, um, we as a species, we can innately um, really catch the emotions of others, if you will. And... um, How does this really actually happen? So David Hamilton uh, wrote an article in the Huffington Post, and he talks about this interaction of uh, this network of cells in the brain that make up what's called a mirror neuron system and call it the MNS. And it's a bit of like a high definition camera that ultimately are observing and recording every detail of people's facial expressions, body language, people movement, and even vocal tones. 
And so when you're hanging around with happy people, your MNS, your MNS, that doesn't roll off the tongue all that easily, um, will record their displays of happiness. And it will signal to you to also display these signals of happiness. So what's really the impact of this? Simply put, um, you can hang out with happy people and you're going to tend to feel happier and have more energy and feel less stressed. And conversely, if you're hanging out with people that are in a depressive mood, you can actually, um, those Emotions are just as contagious as being happy. So the impact of this in the business world is, um, you know, ultimately we have to start thinking about what are we bringing to the table in in terms of our emotions and how does that impact the team? And I want to bring this back to engagement studies because, I mean, so many people out there in the business world are really thinking about employee engagement and what that means. And maybe people are sick of that terminology. But there is a really great group of researchers um, in in Europe, really, in Holland mostly. And uh, it's Dr. Baker and Shafeli and a number of other of their colleagues. And they really study work engagement. And what they found is actually the same thing happens. So work engagement or employee engagement is really an emotion. It's a motivation. And they actually have done a number of studies that show that others' engagement and your engagement actually do coincide. So when we're in a team that's fully engaged, guess what? we start to feed off each other's engagement level um, around the project. Again, if people are feeling less engaged, we can also feed off that. So it turns out engagement is also contagious. And so I think that's a really important little nugget here that it's not just about emotions. It's also about, you know, motivation. And we've all been on teams where things are going well and it's exciting and that momentum is going. And that's what we're really talking about here is, and that momentum is not just in our brains, it's also felt through this MNS, which is also in your brain. And it's a feeling between people and between a group. So I think it's interesting to keep that in mind as we start talking about high-performance teams. Obviously, a high-performance team that can get through the you know, disappointments and get to you know, either neutral or happy are actually going to be performing at a higher rate. The other thing that's very interesting is when we look at energy psychology, Energy psychology, you know, it's all about everything's made up of energy and atoms and they're vibrating at a certain speed. And we start looking at it from that lens and it sort of makes sense that if I'm sort of vibrating at a certain level because I'm happy and emotions have a vibration and, I'm, and someone else walks in the room and they can kind of feel the vibe, right? We always say that, kind of, you know, the vibe here is good. We use that word a lot. And so when we look from energy psychology, sure enough that it makes sense that if you can feel the vibe in a room or you can feel the vibe of somebody else, that they're either vibing at a high level or a low level, depending on their emotions. And that, in fact, can be picked up by people. So, you know, in terms of how this relates to performance, very, very interesting about, again, what are we bringing to the table in terms of our emotional state related to the project or whatever else is going on in our lives? And or maybe even about the people. That's why clearing things up is so important to really being a high performance team. So, we've been uncovering some secrets of great team performance. Stay tuned after the break for ways that leaders can influence this process. And, of course, our recipe for success from this episode. We'll be right back in a few minutes. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Effective leadership is what will propel the world, organizations, and businesses through a range of dynamic changes. 
How do you keep up with these changes, build skills, and lead effectively? Listen for Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf. Maureen offers tools and engaging guests who are leaders in their field. With each week, you'll work on and improve your skills to lead with confidence and drive your organization's success. Tune in every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Business. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you want to hone the right skills to become a CEO or stay there as a competitive strategic leader, check out CEO Academy with Pam Lassiter. You'll learn the tips to success and hear from the experts who are at the top of their games. You'll make your company stand out from the competition and build your own reputation in the process. Top executives are made, not born. So take charge of your future growth. Listen for CEO Academy with Pam Lassiter. Wednesdays at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 Pacific on Voice America Business. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. This is The Mental Game of Life. To reach Dr. Christy Wanner, send an email to TheMentalGameOfLife at gmail.com. Again, that's TheMentalGameOfLife at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Thanks so much for tuning in. We are going to be wrapping up the show with some insights on how leaders can influence the environment to create a high-performance work team. And... Of course, we'll do our key takeaways from this episode, but I would love to hear from you. So if there's anybody out there that wants to share their experience in terms of some strategies that really worked well when they were leading teams or even a team member, of course, you can call in at 1-866-472-5790. So key influencers. How does a leader really influence this process? Because I imagine I'll have a couple leaders listening to listening live or listening uh, after the show. Um, the first thing, of course, is to foster commitment. Leaders can really foster commitment by ensuring everybody understands the importance of their role and what their role is. Um, helping to spell out if the team needs it, what are the strengths and weaknesses of the team already and where, where are those, those gaps. And, of course, helping, helping to connect it to the bigger level of the organization. Like, what does this, this team, their success, how does it really relate back to the org? And again, that really goes back to, again, understanding the purpose, the vision. And the more the leader that can lay that out, the easier it is then for um, the team to get moving and working through those those four phases that we talked about. And of course, uh, the next thing is to use common sense, right? Um, high performance really isn't rocket science, and I do not recommend over-engineering it. There's going to be some organicness to this process. And you want to support the team. So once you lay out a foundation for them, purpose, roles, um, you really want to support them to be self-directed. So if you're managing a team, help uh, them focus on what what needs to be achieved. But I would stay away from um, trying to tell them how to do it. Let that really let them own that. It creates buy-in and ownership. 
and uh, allows them to figure it out. You know, in, in a way, it's um, if management tries to point out to the team or tell the team how something should be done, it can often demotivate the team. And perhaps subconsciously, people are saying, well, we'll see about that, right? Um, it's very similar to how you can tell a child to do X, Y, and Z, and then they'll do the exact opposite. So again, it, you want to help them with the what and not the how. That's a, that's a key takeaway from the research. As we've been talking about, communication is huge. Um, as a leader, you know, how, do you, how are you going to inspire trust? And that's based upon um, you know, building great relationships and having open communication and communicate, communicate, communicate. Uh, as a leader, perhaps oversharing of information and being vulnerable and transparent yourself will help actually the team to feel like they can share fears and concerns that come up in any project. Um, so empowering people to take ownership, you know, modeling that it, it's okay, you, you know, if you don't have it all figured out, they don't have to have it all figured out, um, can be really, really important in building trust. Modeling feedback. I'm going to c- come back to that in a second. I wanted to say one more thing about trust. Trust is also really important in terms of creating psychological safety. Do people feel safe in here to fail, to be off track a little bit? And leaders can really foster that by rewarding behaviors that build trust, open communication, feedback, building rapport, problem solving, making sure if something goes off track, people are not reprimanded, because um, that's going to create a culture of learning. So again, we're really looking for an opportunity for people to feel like they can speak out up without fear of embarrassment or rejection. And that's going to create a little bubble of safety, meaning that great ideas can come from that. If people are in fear, you know, no ideas, even if they have them, are going to come out of their mouth. So important to create that. Modeling feedback can also be really critical, meaning that you are asking them for feedback. So that can help them to then um, be more open to sharing feedback within the group. Um, So having that as a, a role modeling activity And guess what? We're going to dive into that a lot more next week. So I'm not going to spend too much time on that. But the other thing is focus. The ability to help a team focus on getting a single project complete is really key to high performance. So if you want a high performance team, and this is not always possible, but try to limit team members from having multiple projects with varying deadlines because that creates confusion, lack of urgency, burnout, and lack of that engagement that MIT said you need of that communication piece. Um, If you're too spread too thin, you're not going to get that. So leaders can really foster high performance by allowing team members um, to have fewer projects over shorter periods of time. And so a lot of people have been moving to agile uh, marketing or using agile principles of, you know, sprints um, instead of marathons and uh, being able to focus on a couple projects instead of many of them over long periods of time. So just something to be thinking about if you have the ability to structure that. Next thing a leader can do is celebrate. Help the team focus on hitting goals as well as focusing on the process and making sure that you celebrate small victories as, as well as large ones toward that goal. Everyone loves to be celebrated in probably different ways. Of course, you want to get to you know your team a little bit in terms of do they like it one-on-one, do they like it in, the, in a group. Um, so something to be thinking about. The next big thing is really understanding team beliefs. So this is really critical if you have a team that's been together for a long time. And you might want to rattle um, some norms that have been created. So there may be some norms worked well two years ago, but those norms now are not working that well. So remember, all of our all of our behavior is really driven by something much deeper, our beliefs. So it's important to really understand the core values and beliefs of your team, especially well-established teams. 
Um, so take time to figure out what's going on based upon their actions and their results. Step one, look at the core values. What does the team actually value based upon their behaviors? Make a list. What's going well? What's What are they doing well and consistent? Then go ahead and make a list and start looking at things that they may not be doing well. Maybe there are some values they're holding or some beliefs that are really limiting them from being high performers. So something to be thinking about in terms of diving in a little bit in, um, in understanding how those team beliefs may have creeped in. Again, some of them you want to keep. Some of them you may want to shift because they may be um, affecting performance. Like, for instance, work ethic. Maybe the team doesn't have a high work ethic. Maybe they're kind of more in the middle. Um, and so if they have that belief that things, manana, things can happen, you know, next week or the week after, we don't have any accountability, then having a high work ethic may not be a value that they're holding right now. Um, so you may want to have to shift that around. So you may have to do a little uh, digging around to understand what's going on in, in terms of the team's dynamics. So as we shift here, I want to um, give us a little minute to go through some recipe for success. One is for, for high performance. One is to slow down to create clarity on purpose and goals for the team. Ask questions like what are the three strategic priorities for the team? Um, and then, of course, create clarity for them if there's not clarity there. And for yourself, too. So it doesn't matter if you're a leader or part of a group. Make sure you're clear about what's going on and why you're there and all those other things. Also, do a little digging in terms of those belief systems that may be holding the group um, to high success or maybe holding them back. So that's number two. Number three, it's healthy communication. Face-to-face communication, there's just no replacement for it. Uh, keep it energetic, engaged, internally focused. Um, and make sure you meet with people whenever possible. It's really going to help with team performance. Average teams tend to take the, the emperor's new clothes approach, while high-performance teams are willing to name the elephant in the room. So make sure that you get to know yourself. Um, what's the best way to communicate things that are uncomfortable for you? Get a strategy. If you've broken rapport with somebody, how do you build it back up? These things are all very important for you to know individually as a team member as well as the team. High-performance teams really do recognize um, that they're not going to agree all the time, and they know how to work through conflict. And then when a decision is made, um, they're going to back it. That's also known as alignment. Number four in this is um, really that, is really knowing that, you know, we got to name the elephants in the room in order to be high performers. So as we wrap up the show, of course, if you have any questions on um, or any thoughts on the show, you can always email me at thementalgameoflife at gmail.com. I love hearing from you. And uh, next week, we're going to continue the focus on leadership. We'll be taking a deep dive into the importance of feedback and coaching, strength-based leadership. We'll be hearing some great tips on how to go from a good leader to an extraordinary leader with guest Zach Zenger. So, Zach is the CEO of Zenger Folkman, a professional services organization um, around consulting and leadership development programs for organizational effectiveness. He's got more than five decades of experience. Jack is considered a world expert in the field of leadership development and organizational behavior. He's a highly esteemed and influential speaker consultant, and he's got amazing, amazing stories. He's been an author of 50 articles, co-authored seven books, and uh, he's going to be here with us next week. And honestly, I could go on and on about how amazing Jack is, but honestly, you're going to have to tune in to hear it for yourself. Uh, You won't want to miss that episode. So as we wrap up, until then, plant some seeds for change in your life or in your team. And start thinking about, um, you know, no change in a group or team ever truly happens without some change or transformation in the leader. If you want to drive sustainable, high performance within your team, 
think about what step are you going to take this week to increase your own mental game or what change do you want to champion within your team? Just food for thought. Looking forward to spending uh, Monday with you next week. Over and out. Thank you for tuning into The Mental Game of Life with Dr. Christy Warner. Please be sure to join us again next Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Let's talk next week.